If you would bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to look uh, back in Acts together this morning. But let's pray first. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for this place that you've provided. We thank you that we can gather together as your people, that we can uh, hear directly from you in your word. We thank you that we get to gather together and sing your praises. Uh, we thank you for the great privilege of being able to, to talk and come directly to you in prayer through what Jesus has done. And we thank you uh, for all of these things. Uh, we confess that we cannot uh, do any of this without you. We pray that your spirit would move in this place, that you would take the eternal truth of your word and you would apply it to our hearts and our minds, that you would teach us, that you would show us, that you would guide us. Uh, I pray this morning that as we think on how you meet us in the midst of even difficult circumstances, I pray for those uh, that are in the middle of difficult circumstances right now, whatever they may be, if they're struggling, if things are hard, uh, if they're a weight they are carrying, I pray that you would speak directly to them in your spirit, that you would bring them great comfort this morning, uh, that you are the great comforter. And so we place all of this in your hands. Uh, we thank you. Uh, we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, meal times at my house have gotten kind of uh, pain, <laughs> maybe is the way to say it, lately. Uh, I have three boys that are all growing and liking to eat more and more. But as they like to eat more and more, what they like to eat seems to be shrinking. Um, so what happens is mealtimes end up becoming like this almost like fight of what we will eat and what we won't eat. And suddenly stuff they used to eat now they don't like. And so there's days when I just think it'd be much easier just to let them eat whatever they want to eat. Just let them pick it and they eat what they want to eat. But the problem is, I think what would happen is we'd eat powdered donuts for breakfast, um, maybe an occasional like sticky bun. Uh, Lunch would be mac and cheese, grilled cheese, possibly pizza. And then the rest of the time would just be eating bags of chips, bags of chips at once, whole bags of chips. And so, although that would be easier, and just go, fine, just eat your chips and leave me alone, like, just eat that, uh, wouldn't be very good for them. And so we don't do that. And and you know why, I think, when you think about it, when you have kids, the reason we don't do that is it'd be incredibly unhealthy for them to eat that way all the time. And so we have these little arguments, and we have these little kind of butting of heads, no, this is what mom has made for dinner, this is what we're going to eat, this is good for you, that kind of thing. Because, if you think about it, it's because we love our children. We don't want them just to eat chips and powdered donuts all the time. And so because we love them, because as their parents, hopefully we know a little bit more than they do, uh, we're going to kind of direct them in some of these ways. And we're going to say, no, we're not going to just eat this. And it's because we love them that we do that. We want their best. But if you were to ask them, they would say, no, 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 I just want donuts and chips and grilled cheese. Like they would be perfectly content with that at all times. But the truth is, sometimes what we want or what we think we want is not really what's best for us. And in the same way, we try to direct our children and we go, no, 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 I'm not going to let you just eat these things. In the ways that we try to help them to see that, God oftentimes has to do that with us. Oftentimes we think we know exactly what would be the best way for things to go. And sometimes we pray that way. God, I want you to do this and I want you to do it in this way and in this timing. And sometimes the answer comes back, you're just going to wait. Or sometimes the answer comes back, no, that's not the way he's going to do it. But we're a lot of times like my kids are, but this is what I want. And this is the way I think it should go right now. But the problem is sometimes we're just seeing a little part of it. Actually, if you just think about it, by definition, we are finite beings created by an infinite creator. He knows more than we do. 
Always. And even when we think we see the whole story, we don't see the whole story. But God is good and he is at work in those things. And so what I want us to consider this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to see Paul in Acts as we've been continuing to see the spread of the church and Paul going from place to place. He's planning churches, he's spreading the gospel, and he's going, and he's decided to leave. He's done with his third missionary journey, and he's about to head back to Jerusalem. And everybody around him keeps going, don't go back there. They keep warning him. Paul even knows, he even said, if you were with us last week, as he meets with the elders at Ephesus, and he says goodbye to him. He says, I'm not going to see you again, and persecution is coming, but I know God's calling me to this, and I'm going on to this next place. But everybody Paul keeps coming into contact with seems to know what's best for him to do. Don't go here and don't do this and persecution's coming. So stay away from that. But the truth is, I want us to consider this morning that even though these people that love Paul think they really have his best interest at heart. um, I think all of us would probably say the same if we're in that situation, I would think. If it's someone that we love and care for and we're certain that hardships, persecution, prison, maybe even being killed, if he goes to this place, we'd probably all say the same thing. Don't go there. Don't do that. But the problem is sometimes we jump to that conclusion. Don't do this because it may be hard because we have a misunderstanding of what God's doing. Sometimes God's taking us through very difficult things for our good and his glory. And that's exactly what he's doing. But oftentimes we can miss that. And so I want us to consider exactly what God's doing here and the way he's working, the way God does work in difficult situations, the way he does bring us to a fuller understanding by going through some hard things at different times. And so what we're going to see for Paul over the next chapter and a half, two chapters, three chapters, really to the end of uh, Acts, if you read through is it's difficult. Paul's going to go through a lot of difficult and hard things, but God's still at work in that. And so this is the way I want us to look at this passage this morning as we look into Acts. Jim read us the beginning. We're actually going to go through almost to halfway through uh, chapter 23 or so. We're going to cover a lot of ground just looking at this story and what God's doing and how he's directing Paul in this. But this is the way I want us to look at it. The first thing I want us to see this morning is there's a lie that we often buy into that easier is better. That more of God's blessing is on our life if everything's really easy. And that's not true, biblically speaking. I think that's a lie that we often embrace. And so that's the first thing I want us to see. The second thing we're going to look at is that God can and does use all situations in the life of a believer for your good and his glory. That's all situations. Even the really difficult, hard ones. God uses all of them for our good and his glory. And then lastly, I want us to consider when we take those two, how do we live in light of that? How do we actually grasp this truth and apply it in our lives and actually begin to live that way? Because it's not easy. It's easy to say God's going to work in really difficult things in your life, but it's very hard when you're actually in the middle of very difficult things in your life. So how do we grow into that? So let's just start with the first part, this idea that easier is better. More of God's blessing is on you if everything's just smooth sailing and it's really easy. That's a lie. I don't think that's true. And so look with me here in chapter 21 of Acts. And so what we have is Paul has left. He's now on his way to Jerusalem. He's kind of making his way down to Jerusalem. He stops at a couple different places. It tells us in verse eight, he stopped in Caesarea. 
and he's gone and he's meeting with some other believers and he's spending time with them. And then in verse 10, it says, while we were staying for many days, um, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us. He took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. And so I wanted to stop right there for just a second. Minor point, but I'll point it out again to you just as we're reading through. Luke wrote the book of Luke and Acts. He's a physician, historian. He's put together this account. But what we see here in the later chapters of Acts is Luke is actually on this journey with Paul. You'll notice here that it says we were saying this to him. Suddenly Luke is including himself in what's happening. So he's an eyewitness to what was happening. And he said this guy, this prophet, this God-fearing man that God is speaking to named Agabus comes and he takes Paul's belt and he shows and he says this man whose belt that I have is going to be bound and he's going to be uh, imprisoned and he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles when he goes to Jerusalem. And he prophesies, he tells what's going to happen. And everybody looks at that and immediately what they say is, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. I don't blame them. I'm not, not judging them for saying that. I think I would have been one of the we in that. Right? If, if I care for Paul and he's my friend, a lot of these people, he's kind of the spiritual father in their life. He's come, he's shared the gospel, they've become believers They love and they know Paul and they hear he's going to go and he's going to be in jail. They all immediately go, don't go. Don't do that. That's not a good thing. We don't want you to be in jail. But I want you to look at what Paul says in response. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And so there's an interesting kind of uh, struggle going on here, right? It's a prophecy from God of what's going to happen. And they're interpreting it one way and Paul's saying it in another way. And what I want you to see and what you think about this morning is they immediately jump to you shouldn't go. You should avoid this because prison is coming. And Paul goes, no. I think I should go. So what's the right answer in this situation? Should they avoid it or should he go? And I think it depends on your perspective and the way that you're looking and the conviction that you have and the way that you walk in that. Paul will say elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 4 that the things that he's experienced in his life, imprisonment, beating, being stoned, almost killed, shipwrecked, all the things that he goes through, he says they are a light momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that is coming. Paul's perspective is I can walk through these really difficult things in my life for God's glory. And I'm okay with that. Oftentimes when we see difficult things, especially in our culture today, we immediately do what the people did here. Avoid that at all costs. We, we live and let's let's just be real honest. We live in a country in a time where we are incredibly blessed. We face very, very little to no persecution in our life day in and day out. And so in a lot of ways, 
and me included, not pointing a finger at anybody, I'm a wimp. I'd rather avoid those kind of things, difficult things, hard things, like maybe getting put in prison for my faith. I've never faced that. But Paul in his life, if you watch the, the way he goes all the way through Acts, that's basically what happens to him every town he goes into. He goes in, he preaches the gospel, he starts a riot, they beat him and throw him in jail. That's like his daily thing. And so when people say, no, 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 you can't go there because they're going to throw you in jail. Paul's kind of like, yeah, I think you can. I think I'm going. And I think what Paul has started to see and started to learn is that lie that just because things might be easier if I do it this way rather than that way doesn't mean that that's God's plan. Sometimes God's going to allow us to go through very difficult seasons or hard times, but he's going to use that in our lives. But oftentimes what we do is we just take God's uh, maybe his will or his plan in that and we go, I'll make that decision. I'm not going to do that. I'll avoid it at all costs because we've bought into the lie or the idea that less conflict, less struggle, less hardship in our life is better. I think if we went around the room, though, and we started to share personal stories of some of the greatest growth in our lives. Seasons, spiritually speaking, where we really had to rely on God almost to a person, we'd end up hearing a lot of stories about very difficult times in our lives. Really hard times where it kind of brought us to the end of our rope of I can't do this and understanding that I can't do it. And so now I have to rely on God. But what our culture would say is, is, no, 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 you want to avoid all that. And so Paul says, no, it's not what I'm going to do. And I don't want to avoid all that. And it's I'm going to continue to press on. And so the first thing I want us just to consider is it doesn't mean that uh, if there's an easier, or harder way, you always pick the harder way. That's not what I'm saying. But it does mean that God works in those. And just because one way is easier doesn't mean it's the better way. And so Paul says, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go on. And that leads me to the second part I want us to consider. The reason I believe he does so, and I'm confident in saying this and all the other things that Paul writes in the New Testament, is he believes that God's going to use everything in his life for his good and for God's glory. Everything. Including getting bound and handed over to Roman soldiers and thrown into prison and beaten and all the things that come his way. In fact, I think when we get to this point in Acts, Paul's seeing God do this so many times in his life. There's without hesitation. It's like, yes, I'm going. And yes, probably get thrown in jail. But that's kind of the way I work. And he sees God meeting him in that, that God is always at work for our good and his glory in all things. He doesn't waste anything. For those that are called according to his purposes, it says those that have put their faith in Christ, he's going to use all of it in your life. And that's hard for us to grasp sometimes, because that means even the really bad things, even the tragedies and the struggles and the hardest times, it says he's going to redeem and use all those things. And Paul is operating and functioning that way. But oftentimes. I think we can get into those situations and we can immediately go to uh, God's not going to use this. Yeah, I believe God's good. I believe he can use all things, but no good could come from this situation. You ever said that? 
It's okay if you have. <laughs> I think uh, Psalms is fall, full of all kinds of things like that. What are you doing, God? Where are you in this? Why like this? Because when we're in those moments at that time, we look and from our finite viewpoint in the midst of the hardest, most difficult times. It's easy to say nothing good could come from this. And if you've done that, that's not to, to shame you or make you feel bad about it. That's part of being human. It's part of the struggles that come with this life. All of us have been in those situations at different times. But when we do that, we have taken a place of assumed omniscience. I have assumed that I know how this will play out in my life and nothing good could possibly come from this. Or another way to say it is I've taken the place of God. The finite being has taken the place of the infinite creator and decided that nothing good can come from this. Just because I can't fathom how any good would come from this doesn't mean that God can't work it for good as a good, all-powerful God. That's a lot of the book of Job. Job loses his whole family and all these things and he cries out to God and God finally answers him and he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he begins to give him this whole image, this overwhelming picture of who God is and what he's done. But oftentimes that's where we go. But what we see here Paul doing is understanding, humbling himself and going, yeah, on the surface, it doesn't look good. I'm going to go and I'm going to be thrown in jail and I'm going to be bound. And that doesn't look real great, but I'm going to trust God in this because I feel that he's called me to go to this place. And so he's operating under this understanding that it's all for God's glory and for his good in all things. And so they say to him, don't go. They urged him not to go. But he says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart for am I I am ready not only to be in prison, but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And so you see this this kind of struggle going on, but Paul's okay with what's going to happen. And so what happens is he goes ahead and he goes on to Jerusalem. And as he gets there, he meets up with uh, James and some of the, the apostles and he spends time with them and he hears what they're doing and he goes to this. And then he goes up to the temple with them in about verse 27. And as they go up and people see that Paul's there and they've heard of him and they've seen this stuff, he's kind of a controversial figure. He's preaching grace. He's preaching Christ alone. There are Jews that are saying, no, 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 we have to hold to all these things. And he's made them very upset and quickly, like Paul's does, where he goes, a riot breaks out and they're ready to kill him. And so exactly what Agabus told them was going to happen, was going to happen, happens. And they press in on him and they're grabbing him and they're ready to kill him and they're screaming and yelling. And the Roman soldiers, the Gentiles, have to step in and take him away by force and carry him out of the crowd and remove him physically from it. So it's the exact prophecy that they told him. He's going to be bound. He's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. He's going to be taken. But then look at what happens in verse 37. Or actually go back to about verse 35. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd for the mob of the people followed crying out away with him. Do you have the image? 
There's a mob of people around him and they are so incensed that the soldiers literally have to pick him up and carry him out of the crowd. Can you imagine? He goes into this like knowing what's going to happen and I'm fine with this. I'm going to go right into the middle of that. But then look at what happens. Verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? Do you hear what the Roman soldier saying? Aren't you that Egyptian guy that started this big revolt? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. He's like, no, that's not me. I'm a Jewish guy. Right. And he tells them. And so then look what happens. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And then there was a great hush. He addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. So I want you to see what's happening. He goes to Jerusalem. A mob breaks out. They're ready to kill him. The Roman soldiers pull him out. They save his life. They bring him over. And Paul goes, hey, hold on just a second. Do you mind if I talk to the crowd? This is the ones that just wanted to kill him. And so what you see Paul doing is in the midst of horrible persecution, literally people, a mob ready to kill him, yelling away with him. He sees a crowd and the way Paul sees it is opportunity to share my testimony. Can I talk to him? He sees all for God's glory and for his good. And I've got an opportunity right now to share the gospel. So can I have that opportunity? And I go, okay, talk to him. And he waves his hand. And they all get quiet. And if you read on what he ends up doing is he tells them his testimony of what God did on the road to Damascus and the way Jesus gave him his grace, even though he was persecuting the church. And he magnifies Jesus and he boldly and clearly proclaims the gospel to all those that are there. In the midst of a very, very difficult circumstance, Paul shares the gospel. And so I just want to ask you this question. When things are really difficult in your life, and I think this qualifies, a bunch of people trying to kill you in a mob, all for you being a Christian, but whatever the situation is in your life, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's a uh, difficult time with a loved one or a child or whatever it may be, the difficult things in your life. Do you see them and immediately think, how can I glorify God with this? How's God going to use this for his glory and my good that his name would be made great? Because that's the way Paul operates. Hey, put me over here and let me address these people so I can share the gospel with them. It's because he knows and he believes in all things that God's at work for his glory and for our good. Bind me, throw me in jail, beat me, whatever. That'll give me an opportunity. Think about what Paul's just seen the last few years of his life. Just a few weeks ago, we were uh, looking at when he's in jail in Philippi. Right? Goes into a town, starts a riot, gets thrown in jail, gets beaten. And then what does he immediately do? He's singing in the jail, singing praises to God, and he watched the jailer and his whole family get saved. 
everywhere he goes. This is the way he operates. I'm going to use all these difficult circumstances as opportunities to show who God is and what he's like. And I ask that question, is that the way we operate? And to be honest, I know the answer is yes with a lot of you. I was thinking about today with, with Billy. What, 60-something surgeries now? Give or take. <laughs> I've gone to visit Billy in the hospital a lot of times in the last 10 years. And every time, every single person that comes in there is getting prayed for and seeing a joyous man who loves Jesus. But we often would think, woe is me, I'm in the middle of this, is an opportunity to make God known. That's exactly what Paul does. I'm reminded of my favorite professor at seminary. I may have shared this not that long ago. But Dr. Larkin died from cancer a couple years ago. And the last story I heard about his life, probably the last month of his life, he took an ambulance from Columbia to Charleston, South Carolina. And his wife told at his funeral that on that ambulance trip for an hour and a half, he had the attendant with him, a captive audience. said, Dr. Larkin shared the entirety of the Bible, laid out the whole story from the beginning to the end and how it all points to Jesus. And he thought, here's an opportunity a month before he would die from sickness, from cancer, that I get to share the gospel with this guy. And so when we begin to see that even in the most difficult times, God gives us opportunities to make much of him, it begins to change the way we look at those things. For Paul, he would say to live as Christ, to die as gain. Every breath that I have, I have a moment to live for Jesus and to point to what he's like. And that is the way that he carried himself in everything he did, whether it was a mob or whether it was sitting in jail or where it was he's about to be beaten. Every single one of these situations, he does the same. And so here's the question I want us to consider. How do we begin to live that way? It's not easy. We look at Paul and we see him doing this and we look at him as an example of the way he's following Jesus and all things. And we go, how do we get to that point? When we not only have Paul's example as we watch through Acts, we see him living this way. We see him embracing these things that God brings in his life for God's glory. But we also have all these letters that Paul wrote where he talks about how this works. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 5. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out with within our hearts, the Holy Spirit who has who was given to us. So I want you to hear what he says. And the Bible says this a lot. We also exult in our tribulations. You know what exult means? Rejoice. Make much of. Enjoy. We rejoice in our tribulations. It's the same thing James says in chapter 1. Consider it all joy when you come into various trials. You go, whoa. The Bible says that a lot. How does that work? How do we exult in tribulations? 
How do we consider it joy when we go through difficult things? Then I don't want to be flippant about your suffering because I know many of you are dealing with very difficult things right now. I don't want to be just up. Rejoice in your suffering. Consider it all joy. Good luck with that. It's okay. Put a smile on your face and walk through it. How do we do that? Well, he tells us he helps us see very clearly right here. In our tribulation, in our hard times, in our suffering, he says, tribulation brings perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope and hope does not disappoint. And I want you to think about what Paul's saying there. And you can read that and you can see Paul's example and you can read and you can go, yeah, 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 but I'm not Paul. Yeah, I'm not either. I didn't go through the things Paul's gone through. It's easy to read that and go, yeah, okay, but, but I want you to understand the strength and the power with which Paul does what he's talking about is not him. It is only because of what Christ has done for him and he sees that so vividly that he begins to walk in these things. It's not just that he sees that, it's that he's put his faith and hope in Christ and what he's done for him. And he says, I'm going to live everything in the power of Christ being formed in me. And so he begins to live in all things. I'm going to believe that God is good. Because he's proved it in Jesus. Our belief is not just this kind of nebulous thing that I kind of believe these things. But God has proved it in Christ that he loves us in all things, in all situations, in all places because of what Christ has done. And whatever suffering and hardship you go through right now, God knows it. Because he entered in to time and space. He took your sin and my sin upon himself and he paid for it. And he knows everything that you're going through. Everything that you deal with in your life. So God's not saying, hey, trust me and trust that I'm good as he sits up in the clouds far removed away from our suffering. No, he knows your suffering intimately. But because he does, he can say things like exult in your tribulation. Consider it all joy. So how does that work? Yes, we look to Jesus, but daily, how does that work? And he says, so we exult in our tribulation. And that's a hard thing to get our head around. Make much of, delight in. When something really difficult happens in your life, is the first thing you say, go, thank you, God, for this suffering. I can't wait to see what you're going to teach me in this. Not usually. Maybe you do. If you do, I'd like to meet you. Come tell me about it. I'd like to know how you do that. But oftentimes when it comes, it takes a little bit of us really wrestling with it. And there are times when we say no good could come from this or we struggle with it. But look at what Paul says here. He says we exult in our tribulation. I want you to think about Paul's life. How many times he's been thrown in prison, how many times he's been beaten, how many times these awful things have happened to him. All the things that we would say to him, avoid that. Stay away from that. But what's the consistent story all the way through Acts and everything that Paul does? God shows up. And people are coming to faith. God brings an earthquake and walks him out of the prison. 
God does all these incredible things that he's working in the middle of it. And so Paul's seeing God show up in his suffering over and over. And he says, when we do that and we begin to walk into it that way and we continue in faith, we persevere and we cling to him. And we don't just become inwardly bitter and frustrated and struggle, but we continue to count on the grace of God in our lives and we begin to persevere and we continue to walk. We get up each day trusting in God, clinging to him. And there's a lot of days when things are really, really difficult that that's all it looks like. We're clinging, barely holding on to God's grace and that's all we have. And I don't want to paint the wrong picture. It's not like you wake up every day like, this is great. I get to suffer today. A lot of times that's not what it looks like. A lot of times it's really, really hard. And it's like, God, please sustain me today in this. And then you get up the next day and you ask him again. And you ask him again. And then you begin to see that God is carrying you through that. Even though it's difficult. And even though some days are so hard. And even though some days you doubt and you struggle and it's difficult, but you continue to get up and you continue to trust him. And over time, you begin to see as Christ becomes more and more real to you. Because you go, I don't know how I got from this day to this day. I'm not sure how that worked. But I'm going to get up and I'm going to trust him again tomorrow. And then he gets you through the next day. And the next day. And your perseverance becomes proven character. You begin to realize that God is keeping me in all of this. And he is faithful and he does love me and he is teaching me. And some days are a little better and some days are worse. But God continues to sustain you. And over time, your hope grows. You know what biblical hope is? A confident assurance that God's going to finish this. It's not maybe he's going to do it or maybe it's not. It's a confidence that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And as you persevere and as you see him sustaining you, your hope grows because you go, yeah, he's got me from here to here and from here to here. And even when this was such a difficult season that I didn't know how I was going to get it through, he got me through that. And you continue to see how he sustains you and your hope grows to the point of, yes, it's all Jesus. And he's going to do what he said he's going to do because he's always been faithful. And that's what Paul sees over and over. When everybody else goes, don't go there. He's like, yeah, I'm going there. I'm going because I know what God is like and I've seen it. And Paul says, even if I go there and they kill me, God is still faithful. And I'm okay with that. And so he continues to persevere and his hope grows. But then look at the last thing he says. He says in hope, this is Romans five and hope does not disappoint because of the love of God has been poured out within our hearts to the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And as that hope grows, the the nearness of God is so clear. And so Paul will continue to follow Christ and all this. You know what happens after this mob? They pull him out and they're ready to kill him and they take him away. And then the Romans are about to beat him. They're going to flog him. And he goes, oh, wait a second. I'm a Roman citizen. 
which he just says so then he can go share the gospel with the other people. (laughs) Wait a second. They have a dilemma. He's a Roman citizen. Jews want to kill him. They want to hold him so the Jews don't kill him because he is a Roman citizen, but they can't hold him because they don't have a charge. So they're like, ah, let's take him to the Sanhedrin. The Jewish leaders, so maybe they can give us a charge and he goes and stands before them. And of course, he about starts a riot there, too. It's kind of what he does. Proclaims the gospel. They get angry. But then look at what happens in chapter 23. Verse 11, the following night. The Lord stood by him and said, take care, courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. God speaks to him, says, I've got you. You're exactly where I want you to be. You've now proclaimed the gospel again in Jerusalem, and now I'm going to have a way for you to go to Rome that you can do it there. And so the question becomes, well, what does that mean? The assurance of the Holy Spirit, does that mean that God just speaks to us and tells us in the midst as we continue to persevere and our hope grows and then he, the bright shining light and he tells you? Maybe. I think God does speak to us. He's spoken to us most clearly in his word. And he's told us over and over, I love you and I will never forsake you and I'm with you. And he walks with us in it. But here's the thing, I think, just practically. As we exult in our tribulation and we persevere and our character is proven and our hope grows and we continue to day by day entrust ourselves to Jesus. And we cling to him and he becomes more real and our hope hope grows and we become obedient. The more clearly we hear his voice and everything. The assurance grows because we are clinging to him in faith and he continues to speak to us. As you are obedient to open his word, he speaks to you in his word. And he continues to meet you in every single one of those times. And so we get to a place where when difficult times come in our life, we go, okay, what's God going to teach us in this? And that's not easy. But he does. I can look back on my life and some of the most difficult times God has been so near and his voice so clear. And so I understand this. I don't go, God, okay, heap on the problems because I'm a wimp, I would like it just to be nice and easy and I still grow closer to you. That's kind of my prayer. Let's just keep it. But what I know to be true is when those difficult times come, God is right there with me in all of that. And Paul sees that and he continues to press on and he continues to go forward. And so that's the question I would just ask you. Whatever it is you're dealing with, can you begin to pray and ask God, what are you going to show me in this? How am I going to be an agent for your glory in the midst of this difficult time? There's one last, just as a a postscript, and we'll end here. You know, the very next day after this, the next scene in chapter 23, the Jews are ready to kill him. And it's because they've handed him over to the Romans that he gets away. Remember the prophecy. He's going to be bound and he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. The one who wears this belt is going to be bound and handed over to the Gentiles. So guess what? The Gentiles save him so that he can then move on to Rome to proclaim the gospel. And so what everybody else was going, avoid that. 
was actually God's plan to to take care of Paul, to move him to the next phase so that the gospel could be proclaimed in the next place. And so I don't say that we go looking for suffering in our life, but be open to the possibility that God's going to use it for a greater glory than we could even understand. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news of who you are and the way that you love us. We thank you that even in the most difficult of circumstances, in the deepest struggles of our life, that you are there with us, that you are ultimately in control and that you are good and we can trust you in that. I pray for those specifically this morning that are really wrestling with if that is true. That the circumstances of their life are so close and so difficult and frustrating or whatever it may be this morning that it's hard for them to see that you are working in bigger ways. I pray that you would give them your grace this morning. That you would show them clearly that you are in work at work in ways that they cannot imagine. We thank you that you've proven your great love for us in Jesus and on the cross and what you've done for us. And it is in his precious name we pray. Amen.